Um, and you might have noticed this morning that Pastor Mark and Pastor Kate are gone. They are at our um, annual Foursquare Pastors Conference down in California right now. Um, so you can be praying for them as you think about it. And especially Pastor Mark as well. Um, it's like all the, like, from the nation, and there are some international pastors that come as well, and Pastor Mark is like in charge of all of all of the ushers and everything at the entire conference, and so he doesn't really get to go and rest, but run for that, so um, if you think of Mark and Kate, you can pray for them this week as they're there, and we get the opportunity to have um, a guest speaker come this morning, though, as well, so I'm excited to introduce Justin Ocker this morning. Um, He'll, he'll get, hop up here in a second, but just to tell you a little bit about him, um, he grew up in the church, but he really started walking with Jesus as he finished his time in college, and he went to Central Washington University in Ellensburg, and in 2005, he sensed a call to ministry, and then he became the youth pastor at West Valley Foursquare in Yakima, where he was there for six years before he came over in 2011, if you heard of True Hope Church in Spokane, he helped plant that with his wife and his friends and the, the current lead pastors, Ryan and Annie Oletsky. And so currently he serves as the executive pastor there at True Hope Church in Spokane. And he just continues to love serving the church and, and helping out and coming and speaking here on this weekend as well. Um, but in his free time, you can find him in his garden or his kitchen. So he also en enjoys camping and traveling um, with his amazing wife, Emily, and their two kids. I was going to ask you before, is it Isla and Lincoln? Yes. And um, I was just thinking, it's probably good that you weren't camping last night, because if you were in Spokane, there was some serious rain tent camping. So um, yeah, we're glad that you're here this morning. If you can welcome Pastor Justin Ocker this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Well, good morning again. Yeah, I'm, I'm Justin. And uh, yeah, I mean, she covered quite a bit. We were actually supposed to be camping this weekend. Um, every year this time, we go camping um, at a place called Marble Creek with some friends of ours and uh, do some four-wheeling and, and play around. And we actually came back from a trip. Our kids and my wife and I went to Europe uh, for two and a half weeks. Um, we planned a trip uh, for my sabbatical in 2020. And then, as you know, COVID hit. And so then we unplanned the trip um, and spent a month doing that. And we finally decided that we were just going to make it happen and do it. But we got back from that trip and caught this cold that's lasted like two and a half weeks. Um, we just couldn't shake it. So we thought camping in the cold, rainy weather probably wasn't a great idea um, to do that. So we canceled our trip to go camping this weekend and then actually started getting better. So it's, it's a win. Uh, but you might see or hear me getting more and more raspy as I uh, continue to preach this morning. Um, and then also just one other note, um, it's getting better, so it's not as obvious, um, but a good little scratch on Mark. And uh, I told our church last week, um, when a guy said, did you lose a fight with a cougar? And I thought, we all know the cougs don't win. <laughs> so, um, but I actually uh, lost a fight with an oven. I was going to spin a pizza and I was too lazy to pull the, the rack out and just kind of hit it and hit it. Um, but Again, it's a good thing because when it's that hot, it just kind of cauterizes immediately, and there's no real, no real pain. Um, but um, I'm excited to preach this morning and to share with you, um, following in the series, I Believe. And today we're going to talk about this, this idea, I believe that faith means freedom. Not this kind of fake freedom, not this kind of earned freedom, but this battle and this balance that we constantly have to navigate between grace and the law. This idea, and, and Paul's going to push us today to hold them together. 
This idea that grace and the law um, actually don't fight each other, but they work together in a way that gives us an actual freedom that comes out of our faith, an actual life that comes out of our faith. Again, standing on the foundation that we are saved through grace, not works so that none can boast, but we're also faith without works is dead. So this idea that if we have a true faith, it will lead to true works. But what's the motivation for these works? We don't earn the promise of God. We don't earn the grace of God. We receive it. Remember, and again, and as we talk through, uh, we're going to read through Galatians a little bit today. As we talk through it, we have to also remember that this is a letter and we put in the page breaks and we put in the numbers and we put in the titles and the headings. And so realistically, the church, early church, would have read through this letter together. They would have got all these topics together. They would have had this framework for what they're reading. And so we're going to take a portion today, but I want us to think about this as we read this portion. Leading up to Galatians 5, where we're going to read from, Paul spent five chapters five chapters warning them and, and talking to them about what is going on here. He's pushing them away from works for five chapters. He's standing on the foundation of grace for five chapters. And now we're going to come in in chapter five and read something. But what I want us to hear is this. He's warning and teaching in the same text. These two perspectives weaved, weaved throughout the text today, false freedom and faith freedom. False freedom and freedom that's actually free. This idea of the slave and the son. And we think about slave and son, we, we think about the prodigal son. Many of us have heard this story that there's a father, he has two sons, and one son basically looks at him and says, I wish you were dead and I could have all my inheritance now. And the dad gives him his inheritance and he goes off and it says he, he spent it in wild living. He partied, he, he played hard, he, he hung out with people. The other son stayed home. But what we're, we see in the, the story of the prodigal son is this, that the character of the dad is what brings the prodigal back home. This idea of that the dad is the same to both sons, but one son, as he's in the pig pen, he thinks, even at home, my dad's servants are treated better than me. The character of the dad. And then home, the elder brother who lives more like the slave, earning and working his dad's favor, realizes later in the story that it, the dad actually shows him, like, you don't have to earn it. Everything I have has already been yours. The character of the dad is the same, but the perspectives of the two brothers is what's vastly different. And so today, as we think through this grace, the law, what did Jesus do? What did he bring us into? We put our hope and our trust in the character of our father. And then we live how he wants us to live. We put our hope in the grace of Jesus. And then we do what he says. And it leads us a certain way. We're going to pray. And then we're going to read Galatians 5, 1 through 15. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you were with us. And Lord, I pray and I ask you today that you would speak to our hearts, that you'd speak to our minds, that you'd open our eyes to see you more clearly, and that as we see you clearly, we can live for you. We can walk with you. We can trust you. So Lord, we pray today that you'd speak to us. In your name, amen. Galatians, 1, <clears throat> Galatians 5, 1 through 15. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So, so again, we can put slavery back on ourselves. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So what's going on here uh, leading up to this is there are Jews, Christian Jews, that are telling the, the new Christian Gentiles that they need to be circumcised to fit in, that they need to, thank you, <clears throat> that they need to follow the Jewish law to actually follow Christ. 
What Paul's saying is, no, you don't actually need to do the things that the Jews do to follow Christ. But if you do, if you do this to earn your salvation in Christ, then you're now putting yourself back under the yoke of the law, back outside of the grace, outside of the new covenant, back into slavery. You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So again, you're, you're taking yourself away from grace, putting yourself back under the law. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. So again, he's saying in Jesus, in our saving grace from him, the, the Jewish things that they used to do doesn't matter. But only faith working through love. So you can do these external things, but what really matters is your faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Isn't that such a, a common thing for us? We're running well, we're doing things well, and then something gets in our way. Something hinders us from obeying the truth. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is, whoever is leading you astray, whoever is tricking you. I pray that he bears the penalty of it. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? So again, Paul's playing this battle. He's saying, I'm not walking away from the Jewish foundation, but I'm preaching grace. I'm preaching the new covenant to you on the foundation of the old covenant. So he's, he's going at, at both camps. He's saying, some of you were walking so well, but now you're being led astray to forget the grace of Jesus and put on the yoke of slavery. But others of you who actually agree with what I'm teaching, you're still persecuting me. Why? Because I'm removing your power to lead them astray. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul has a sense of humor. Those wanting you to be circumcised, I wish that they'd go circumcise themselves. But here's the main text. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Isn't it interesting in our faith, this idea that we can walk with Jesus, but if we put ourselves under the yoke of slavery, we don't put ourselves under Christ's love, we actually begin to bite and devour one another. We actually begin to tear each other apart. This idea of the, of the Christian who's been a Christian for 30 or 40 years, but then all of a sudden they're bitter, they're angry, they're judgmental. Why? Because they have this false freedom. They've been carrying, they've been walking with Jesus, but walking with this false mentality, this older brother mentality that although I got the gift of grace, I now have to earn every bit of that grace. I need to prove to Jesus that he's lucky I'm on his team. That he's lucky he recruited me. We're gonna talk through three main observations from this text before we get to our main takeaway. The first one is this. False freedom looks like a mistaken source. A mistaken source. Where do you get your information from? Who are you listening to today? Where do you go for advice? Who you go to for advice matters. Who's speaking into your life most? What voice do you hear the loudest? This mistaken source in our culture today where we're told that truth is what you want it to be. You do you. You make your own truth. You decide what truth is. Your source matters. 
previous verses, Paul says, kick out the false teachers. Get the false voices out of your life. Those who don't teach what is right. He's warning. Are we living out our trust in Jesus or works? Is your source telling you that your works is what will earn your grace? Or is your grace telling you who to listen to and who to follow? I think people today like pep talks. We like chicken soup for the soul. We like motivational speakers. But we don't like to hear there's one way. And it's found in Jesus. Our grace is found in him. Our hope is found in him. The one way is through Jesus alone. And it's interesting because I remember um, my story wasn't a self-help story. It wasn't a 10 steps to follow Jesus story. It wasn't this, um, this, I did all the things, I dotted the I's, I crossed the T's, and then I found my way to faith. My story was I fumbled my way to faith. I remember nights uh, going home drunk and reading my Bible. I remember uh, the, the time that I, I would pray and I'd pray and I'd pray and I'd say, God, like, help me to not go party tonight. Help me to not uh, follow this tonight. Help me to not go home with my girlfriend tonight. Help me to walk with... And then finally one day it clicked and I said, Lord, create me, make me into the man that you called me to be. I stopped praying that I would stop doing the bad things and I started praying that I'd become who God called me to be. I took my eyes off of the mistaken source of where my grace would come from and I put my eyes on the one who gives the grace. And I remember one day I just woke up and I realized that I kind of quit partying. I fell more in love with Jesus than the other things. And I remember uh, going to work. I was a bartender at the time. And one of my friends was like, Auker, why are you so happy? He's like, you finally break one of those new rules? And it hit me. No, I'm actually following all the new rules. I'm living free. And I remember when I became a youth pastor, I started teaching the kids like the 10 steps to following Jesus. And I woke up one day and I realized that self-help is great. But our source is Jesus. Our source isn't the steps. And when we get our, our source mistaken, we get false freedom. We get something that might look like we're getting freer. And maybe we are on the outside, but inside we're getting wound up like the elder brother. If we, if we follow and put our hope and our ability to fulfill those things we'll actually end up more bound than we began with. We've taken over the work of Christ. We've treated his work as insufficient. This interesting thing of our real story, and I don't know about your faith story, but the real story of actually falling more in love with Jesus than lesser things, and then finding ourselves free. Jesus says, trust me. Do we take Jesus' advice of do excuse me, do what I say and then you'll know I am who I am and follow it because we trust him or do we take his advice because we're scared, we're worried, we're comparing. I need to, I should, I must. I must be better than the person next to me. I think when we have a a false freedom from a mistaken source, we, we often compare in our lives. And comparison never leads to this neutral spot. Either when we compare, we either make ourselves better than those around us or worse, always. It's never neutral. And I think when we have a mistaken source and we're living our life out of that mistaken source, it leads to the second one. It leads to burdened submission. We do what we're supposed to do, but not because we're in love with Jesus, 
but because we feel scared or guilty or shameful. Think again, Paul spent five chapters before this command to do anything, telling us to rely on the grace of God, trust God. Don't take the command of the work of the law to be performed in our own strength, but to lean on God. And and remember this, Paul's attack on the works of the law isn't an attack on God's commands. It's an attack on us earning. A thing that we say at True Hope a lot and remind our church of constantly is that the gospel isn't anti-work. It's anti-earning. The gospel isn't anti-work. It's anti-earning. When our source is misplaced, our submission gets burdened, and we start earning, we submit out of fear, desire to earn, not willful compulsion or joy or grace or gratitude. This interesting thing. As Christians, we're, we're known for what we do. So works have to go in, but again, what's the motivation for the works we're known for? Not just what we believe. And I think it's interesting because we have to be careful. It says that if you are motivated, if your source is earning and your submission gets burdened, you're doing the right thing, but for the wrong motives, what, what's the fruit of it? He says, be careful, you'll bite each other. You'll devour one another. Again, comparison isn't neutral. So what happens is when we compare, we either put ourselves on top and we devour one another. I'm better than you. I'm more holy than you. I can perform better than you. I can dance better than you. Or we put ourselves under and we feel bitten. We're constantly shameful and torn down. I remember an interview a long time ago now, but Brian Houston was interviewing Mark Driscoll after Mars Hill fell apart. And he's asking Mark, he said, what do you think happened? And he said, I think we created an angry, devouring culture that eventually turned on me. This idea, burden submission that eventually devours us, one another. If we lean toward legalism and make our faith about our works, we'll devour one another. But if we lean into grace and let that fuel our works, this verse says then we'll love one another. Not this idea of how many sins can I commit and still go to heaven. You know, my kids will ask me that. My daughter turns nine this month. My son is seven. Um, And they'll ask that. They're like, well, how much sin is too much sin? It's like, that's the wrong question. How many sins will God forgive? He'll forgive them all. But what's the motivation? Is the motivation to follow God, to not sin, to go to heaven? Or is the motivation, Christ gave me this gift of grace that I received, and now I trust that God's ways will lead me to freedom that will actually make me free. Faith that leads to freedom. But again, this false freedom, what does it look like? So when our source is wrong, it leads to a wrong motivation, which leads to burden submission. We either throw it, we either prodigal it and throw God's rules all the way out the window and go do whatever we want until that destroys our life. Or we put ourselves under a yoke of slavery and try and earn it. This burden submission that doesn't lead to freedom, it leads to this last one, selfish service. Paul says, be servants one to another. If you do this, you'll fulfill the whole law. But if you don't, you'll destroy yourselves. Because when love is motivated by the joy of sharing our fullness, we can actually serve one another. But it says the works of the flesh are motivated by the desire to fill our emptiness. You see, if we trusted Jesus 
Have we embraced the grace that he has? Have we, have we trusted his way to a point where it's filled us up and now out of that fullness, we can serve those around us. We can love those around us. We can love our family. Or are we looking to the things around us to fill us, to validate our ability to serve Jesus, to validate our motivation to really serve ourselves? Are we living out of the fullness? Or are we actually trying to fill our emptiness? The meaning flesh in the book of Galatians right here isn't the physical part of man, but it's actually, it's our ego. It's what fills the deep emptiness inside of us. And oftentimes when we live out of the wrong motivation and we have burdened submission, we try and fill our emptiness um, outside of God's promises, outside of God's way. An example of this is Abraham. In the Old Testament, God gave a promise of Isaac, the chosen son. And what happened was the promise didn't come in the time that Abraham wanted, that Sarah wanted. They felt empty because they wanted a kid. They wanted an heir. They wanted this to come to pass. So what does he do? She gives him her servant, and he goes and tries to fulfill the promise his own way. And they have Ishmael. And what happens is they begin to bite and devour one another. Sarah gets jealous that she still hasn't had the kid. She asks him to, to kick the mom and the son out. And now pain enters the story. Abraham kicks them out and they send them off on their own way. See, trying to get God's promise outside of God's plan, outside of God's timing, outside of God's way, leads to this selfish service, which actually leads to more emptiness and brokenness. Be careful, you'll bite and devour one another. If it's religious, we might use the law. If it's not religious, there may be other things that numb or distract. But one thing is true. The flesh is not free. It's enslaved. One futile desire after another desire. The flesh isn't free. Our culture today isn't free. Our churches aren't free when we live this way. It's interesting. I heard an example of this from Alistair Begg, a guy that I love to listen to. And he talked about when we live in this way with the mistaken source and burdened submission and selfish service, it's like being in a prison cell. And the jailer comes and unlocks the cell and says, hey, you're free. And we walk out of the cell and we look across the prison to another cell and we walk over and put ourselves in that cell again. Christ says, I made a way for you to be free. Will you receive the gift? Will you walk with me? And we say, but no, Jesus, I'm going to instead put myself back under this burden thing. I'm going to earn it. I'm going to work. And what happens is our Christianity becomes transactional. God, I know you did this for me, so I'm going to pay you back this way. God, I'm going to do this for you, so then you can do this for me. And again, if our source is in this transactional walk with Christ, where is that going to translate it's going to translate to a transactional walk with one another in the church. I serve you so you can serve me. I serve you. Why aren't you serving me? I serve you the way that I want, wanted to be served. Why are you returning the favor? And again, the warning here is when our faith looks this way, we bite and we devour. I disagree with you so I can no longer serve you. I disagree with you so I can no longer walk with you. You're no longer fulfilling the emptiness in me, so I can't give back to you out of the fullness that I don't have. We get our faith from a source that's about us. Our submission isn't free, it's forced. Our submission isn't fulfilling, it's empty. And our service becomes transactional and it lacks true depth and hope. 
But Jesus says that we can walk for him, not bound, but free. What's our main takeaway this morning? The law sends us to Jesus for freedom. And then Jesus sends us back to the law as a framework for how to live. The law shows us that we can't do it on our own, that no one's perfect, that we are sinful, that we are broken, that we cannot measure up to God's standard, that it's not even possible. Jesus comes on the scene. He steps out of heaven, steps into our story, walks our life, dies our death, raises in victory. And then he says, I gave you a gift. I'm giving you the salvation and the perfection and the hope that you have without me, that you don't have without me. I'm giving it to you. I'm gifting it to you. You can't earn it. But notice when Jesus teaches is he pushes them back to the law. He often makes the law even harder. The law says don't murder. I say don't hate. The law says don't commit adultery. I say don't lust. Jesus pushes them back and says the law is is the heart of God, the framework of what God wants us to live because it's living free. But Jesus says you're not now living this way so that you can be perfect and be right with God. I'm making you right with God, but I want you to go back and live this way so that you can be free in me. Actually free. The son and the slave, the father, his house, his rules, they're all the same. But it was the father's character that brought the prodigal back. He says, in my father's house. In my father's house, my father lives and thinks a certain way and it motivates a different kind of response to the same rules, the same house, the same life. The, something I want us to realize too this morning is, is it's interesting thing is the law that God gave came after freedom them from Egypt. God didn't give them a law and say, when you can do the things I want, then I'll free you from Pharaoh. He brought them out. And as they're walking out of slavery, out of bondage, he says, hey, here's how free people live. Here's how my family lives. Egypt, if you live this way, you'll be free. The law came after the promise. God made the promise that he's going to redeem us. The law exists after salvation. Jesus doesn't do away with it. So then how do we approach the law? I think we approach the law like their family values. You know, it's interesting when I was growing up, um, my family didn't travel much. We didn't do a lot. Um, and we kind of ate out every night. It was quick. We'd show up, drive to a restaurant, eat, be gone, or we'd all eat in different rooms. And I remember becoming friends with my friend James. And I began having dinner at their house. And everyone sat, everyone stayed at the table till it was done. Everyone would get up and take their dishes and rinse them off and put them in the dishwasher. They'd invite me to go boating with them, to go to trips with them. And I remember sitting down and I was talking with Mr. McKinney and he kept using phrases. In this family, this is what we do. In this family, we work hard, we play hard. In this family, here's how we contribute. In this family, this idea that when you're adopted into a different family, you learn the family values, you learn the plays. And I remember James would work at their family business and he wouldn't get paid. And Mr. McKinney would say, in this family, we all contribute because we all gain from this business. In this family, adopted into a new way of thinking, new values, new way of living. And friends, true freedom isn't free. Contrary to what society says, nothing is free. It costs something and Jesus paid the price for us. And it's not based on our ability to follow Christ but it's in his ability to save sinners like us.
our ability not to follow, but our ability to trust. What's our main applications today as we wrap up? What does real freedom look like? Freedom through faith looks like this. It enjoys grace. Are you grateful, friends, for the gift that you have? Are you grateful for the gift of grace that you've been given? Grateful that Jesus didn't sit up in heaven and do nothing and just watch this world self-destruct, but that he made a way. Are we grateful? I mean, in scripture, we see over and over different versions of it, but restore to me the joy of my salvation. Remind me how great a gift this is. Remind me how awesome this is. Today, friends, have you received the gift? Have you trusted? Have you put your faith in the gift that Jesus gives? Again, through faith, not works. Have you trusted? We didn't do this ourselves. We must realize that we didn't do this ourselves and boast in Jesus, not in our ability to be a great Christian. Again, Alistair Begg says, he says, so often we think, when I get to heaven and Jesus says, why should I let you in? We say, because I have faith in you. And he's like, crazy thing to think about is we're actually boasting in our ability to have faith in Jesus versus because you promised, God. Why should I let you in? Because you promised. Because you died on the cross. Because you did the work. That's why you should let me in. We realize and accept we didn't do this ourselves. We're not boasting in our ability. Our source isn't our ability to follow Jesus. Our source is Jesus. The whole Christian life is a gift of grace. And what does it lead us to next? It leads us to embracing limits. It leads us back to the law, back to actions. Again, faith without works is dead. This idea, the thought that we receive grace and our faith leads us to want to obey. And obedience doesn't look like just agreeing with Jesus. Obedience looks like doing what Jesus says. We walk. Freedom from earning right standing with God, but not without limits. The reality is this, without limits, friends, we aren't free. We're actually bound. This idea that no limits, no rules, is freeing, it's opening. No, it's actually binding. There's no guardrails. There's no safety. You don't know what's going to hurt you and what's going to help you. And scripture and the law gives us guardrails, gives us foundation. There was a study done years back at a school. Um, I recently stumbled across it again. But this idea, this person was saying that this kids would have more fun if they could just run free across the playground. And so they went and they took the fences out of the school. And they found that the kids actually ended up huddled up more in the playground than ever before. And they realized, is there music playing? They realized, I'm like, is that the Holy Spirit? <laughs> they realized that it did the opposite thing because the kids didn't know where safety ended. They ended up more fearful and more bound. And so what they did was they put the fences back up and the kids began running and playing and stretching to every inch of the playground all over again. Freedom isn't neutral. It's contended for. We must not be indifferent to righteousness in this life. We must eagerly wait for it. The word implies eager expectation, longing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We're not content with sin in our life. 
We're not content. We're not looking for this limitless thing. We're saying, no, God, I'm, I'm grateful for the gift of grace you've given me. And that's the foundation for what I do in my life. And because I received that gift, I'm going to look to you and say, now what does safety look like? What's health look like? What's life look like? What's living actually look like? And we see that leads us to the final point. It expresses love. Again, love is the overflow of our fullness. Therefore, love is the only really behavior that we can do in freedom. When God frees us from guilt and sin and fear and greed and fills us with his all-satisfying presence, the only motive left is joy-sharing fullness. When I'm not competing with you, I can love you. When I'm not jealous of you, I can love you. When I'm not discontent with you, I can love you. When I'm not looking for you to fill and fulfill me, I can disagree with you and still love you. I can walk with you. When I realize that God's love and Jesus' grace isn't dependent on my ability to perform, I don't need you to perform to love you either. The only motive left is joy. When God fills the emptiness of our heart with forgiveness and help and guidance and hope, he frees us from the bondage to chase and accumulate things, blind success, to manipulate people. Our hope is in him. He says the greatest command, love your neighbor as yourself. It's not a command to love yourself. Think about this, love your neighbor as yourself. It's not a command to love yourself, but it's a command to take your natural, already existing self-love and use it as the litmus test for how you treat other people in your life. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not saved because I grab, but I'm grabbed by the rope that grabbed me. I'm saved by the Savior that saved me. It's convicting if we actually think about this command. I don't think there might even be a harder one in this. We think about it. Do you want to feed the hungry as much as you're glad that you're not hungry? Do you want to feed the hungry as much as you want to feed yourself? Do you want to find your neighbor a job as much as you're glad that you have a job? Do you want to help your fellow students get A's as much as you want to get A's? Do you want to help the person stalled on the freeway as much as you're glad you're not stalled on the freeway? You know, it's interesting. Um, I actually just met a neighbor the other night. We were coming back from, our kids were in Awana Awards um, for the end of the year. And so we drive, we pull into our driveway and there's a guy with a scooter. Kind of, We live on a hill. Um, and so he's in his, on his scooter. He's just sitting there, his wife there, his daughter's there. And I'm like, everything okay? And he's like, well, this thing broke down at the bottom of the hill and I live at the top. And we're, we live about halfway up it. And so he's like, so we've been pushing for about an hour and I thought, man, that sucks. So I was like, well, why don't you push it back to my house and we'll back, and I have a truck. And so we backed the truck up and got it in there. And five minutes later, we've got his scooter in his garage up top. And the next day he comes by and he's so grateful and he gave us a bag with like crafts for the kids. And then it was interesting. He, he said, and there's our family's favorite Rosars cookies in there too. We don't know what you guys like, but we know we like them. So we figure you probably would too. It's an interesting thing. I thought, it's hot out. Would I want to push a scooter all the way up this hill? No. I'm going to help him. And then the response is, we're going to give you what we love to eat ourselves. This idea, do we want to help? 
And there's plenty of times that I, I've seen people stalled on the freeway and I'm like, mm, maybe another Christian will help them. Will it be us? Do we want to help an athlete get a chance to play as much as you want to play the whole game? Do we want to share Christ with our neighbors as much as we're glad we know Christ ourselves? You know, it's interesting. As a pastor, you would think that I'd be really good at this, but we had some neighbors um, over for dinner a while back, and my kids were like, who's praying? And I'm like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. I don't want to bait and switch them. I want to trick them. And then later I got convicted because, again, we want them to know Christ. We're inviting them into our home, into our hospitality, into what it looks like to live the way that we live. We live different. Our kids pray for food. We, we thank God. We live out of gratitude. And I had to apologize to my kids. And I told them what you wanted was the right thing. You wanted to live the way that we always live in front of our neighbors. I wanted to live different. Can we express love? Service, not selfishness. They will know you. Love me. By what? Your theological stance? Your ability to work? No, it says, they will know you love me by your love one for another. True love, real love, genuine love. What kind of love that you would lay down your life for your brother? This is the point of today as we close. We receive the gift of grace, of salvation, of freedom, and we become the church. We receive the gift of grace, the gift of salvation, the gift of freedom, and we become the church. Then we start living like the church. Friends, you don't go to church. We use language all the time in the church and I'm, semantics bother me a lot. There's two big pet peeves I have. Volunteer. You don't volunteer in the church. You don't see that in scripture. Volunteering is tied with outreach. It's giving yourself to something you're not actually a part of. We actually serve in the church. The scripture says that we serve Jesus and we serve the body we're a part of. So this whole volunteer revolution thing, Bibles, I thought it was great to motivate people, but the theology's off. But the second one is, we don't simply attend church. We don't go to church. We are the church. We become the church. We're adopted into a family. We're adopted into a people. We're adopted into values. We are the church. We trust Jesus. We follow Jesus together. And the reality is the way that we trust Jesus, the way that we become the church, the way that we live out his mission will dictate what kind of church we become. What kind of church Cheney Faith Center will look like? What kind of church True Hope Church will look like is dictated by how we love each other one for another. It's dictated by how we serve one another. So today, friends, will you live free? Will you live free? Will you sit in the grace of Jesus and let that dictate your actions? Will you stop trying to earn and prove and submit to his grace and trust and receive the gift and say, God, I'm so grateful for this gift you've given me that I'm going to put all my trust in you and my trust is going to look like I do what you say. I'm going to do what you tell me to do and I'm going to see very clearly that you are who you say you are, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity, for this privilege. I pray that you'd remind us all and you'd help us all to trust you and to follow you and to live free, to not do it out of earning and proving and working, but to receive your gift and to walk in fullness in it. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.
Amen. Well, thank you so much for sharing from the Word this morning. Um, I just wanted to remind you all that at the end of service, now every every week we're dedicated to having prayer partners at the end of first service and second service. So if you have anything that you would like to pray with someone about, go ahead and come up here after service. And um, it was great to see you all this morning. And I know Pastor Mark would say that always remember Jesus loves you. And so do Pastor Mark and Pastor Kate. Have a great week.